Ralph Anwan Glover is an entertainment force all by himself, with a career as impressive as it is, seems to be just getting started. A career that spans rapping, acting, music, and even directing. The founder and leading vocalist of DC-based go-go band, The Backyard Band, and also highly known for his portrayal of Slim Charles in HBO's drama series, The Wire, he definitely has some incredible chops. And we're so excited that we're able to talk to Kim in the Jinlian circle today. He goes by Big G, also goes by the Ghetto Prince and a bunch of other names, but <laughs> we're gonna go with the fact. Thank you so much for joining us today, sir. Thank you for having me. I'm gonna start off by yes. saying, well, how are you doing? Obviously, we're still in the context of a pandemic yeah. that is ravaging our, our world right now. Backyard's not able to do its thing right now. Right. How are you doing? I'm just holding up. You know, it's, it could be better, like I said, but um, I had a, a blessing traveling to Ghana mm. and um, I met this sister that she had three little boys mm. and they were just happy to get a soccer ball wow. and some rice to eat. And I, I, I said, I noted that to myself that I would never complain about anything ever again. And um, we, we are fortunate to be where we are today, even though it's COVID mm. and we're going through things, but I was able to see how people in Africa really not really being able to fend for themselves, not be able to fend for their kids, to really eat, to get nourishment every day. Mm. So I don't complain, it could be better, but it's just life right now. This is what we have to cope with right now until we get back on stage. Yeah, so, so the experience you just indicated, that's something, that's a reset that came during COVID or you met this family? No, before, too? before COVID, um, the Backyard Band, we traveled. Actually, I traveled with my manager, Rasan Fuller mm -hmm. and uh, Diallo. We went to um, Ghana first, just to get our blessings mm -hmm. that we can be able to come over there through the tourism side to be able to perform at the Slave Castles, the Body Beach mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Right. And we went, I, I was there for, uh, I think, uh, two and a half, almost like, no, about, like three weeks. And then we went back to Ghana, the band went and we stayed for two and a half weeks and performed. So that was before COVID. And I just learned so much to what, like what our ancestors and what our people went through. And the, what I like about that, that story is that you really drew out the simplicity of something like soccer. You said they were excited just to get a soccer ball and get yeah. something to eat. And, and if that doesn't humble somebody, I, I don't I don't know what will, you know? Yeah. You know, I think even, even despite, I'd like to go back to, to something that was also passionate to you, if I could switch to the arts themselves, go-go mm -hmm. music. Yeah. That's Huge. my love. That's your love. That's, that's, that's your first baby. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about how acting seems like it's your first your first baby, too, or it might yeah. be your mistress. We'll get to that part. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Stick, sticking with Go-Go, you know, something that's been around since the 1960s. Yeah. Um, you got started in it at really young, uh, with it really taking off for the Backyard Band in, in 1992. Yeah. Why has it remained your first love? Because um, my brother, Dirk, this past, passed on now. He used to have these boxes, cassette tapes with like Lil Benny, Red Essence, Chuck Brown, Reds and the Boys, Pump Blenders, the list goes on. And <clears throat> he'll play these cassette tapes all day. And that was like, you would hear that from the morning to 
night till my mom get in from work. And then she'll put her 45 records on and she'll play Dion Ward, mm. like the OJs, the Spinners, and music like that. But Gogo was in my household like every day. My brother, he played him. And right there where we used to live at, right on 14th Street, like they had the, on the basketball court, they had the bands every Saturday. Every Saturday, all day, just free go-go. And that's what was it was a part of our neighborhood, our culture. And I just fell in love with it. I just wanted to be there. I just wanted yeah. to be around it. And, it. and it paid off. It paid off during the years. Yeah, and the energy of it is, is something that's unparalleled. So I'm glad that DC does have a staple. Um, go-go music is a genre of music that is heavily percussion-based. Uh, take a listen to some of the samples right now of the backyard band. percussion bass and you yeah. you founded it and you obviously have been the lead vocalist since since the beginning of time yeah I, I fell in love with it just like watching like I said we, we grew up uptown Washington DC um, Celebrity Hall was named the Black Hole was one of the venues that Rare Essence Chuck Junkyard used to perform at mm-hmm. we were too young we couldn't play there so I used to beg one of the owners Vic to let us play and he was like, well, gee, y'all ain't ready yet, isn't that time? And um, I used to always help Foots. He's passed on, that was the original drummer from Rare Asses mm. and, and um, Gogo Mickey. They used to always talk to me outside and Foots would let me bring his equipment to the back door. Sometimes they'd let me bring it in. And um, he used to always like, give me like 10 or 15 or $25 to wash the car. I'd be out there, and then you can hear the music from the back part yeah. of it right there, the alley right there, Park Morton. Yeah. And it was a it was a beautiful experience just being a kid and just watching everybody dress up with MCM on Tom, Tommy Hilfinger, Polo, like Gucci, just walking in. It was like a fashion show and a concert all at the same time. They were going so, for hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hours and big lights. So that was yeah. that was my highlight as a kid. One of the things that we're obviously impressed with is that Big G is an example of someone really fighting for what they believe in. Uh, he has an experience fighting for his genre, the go-go forever experience, and the whole Mute DC experience and, and what have you. You were a big voice in making sure that individuals that wanted to silence the staple of DC, go-go music, that that wouldn't be successful. Exactly. Tell me what that experience was like. That was a blessing in disguise. Um, it was a, a gentrifier, what we call them, when they move in from mm. different parts of the world. And um, he was based over top of um, the Metro PCS, right there by Chuck Brown Street, where, where the Hollow Theater is on 7th in Florida. And this guy was like 
okay, you're making too much noise with that music. I guess he was trying to do some taxes or study or what have you. But that you music. So what? This is DC. Yeah. So the music, <laughs> yeah, the music has been there forever. And yeah. right on that corner, it, it was like this guy really tried to stop it. So Ron Moten and Natalie Allen, they they got people to sign these petitions. And actually it was 87,000 or 89,000 petitions signed. It went all the way to BET for everybody like really saying, okay, this is crazy. It was on ball alert. And um, you had the young kid Yadia that um, that got this Mochella movement going on with the Don't Mute. And those are two separate entities, but it was crazy the, the response we had. Ron Moten and Natalie had everybody playing across the city. Yadia had people playing across the city. And then when we performed down on 14th and U Street with thousands and thousands of people out there with kids, it was crazy just to see that response and everybody come out like that with no violence. Mm-hmm. It just shows you how strong our music is and, and how big the culture is in our city that we let them know you, you can't stop our music, you won't mute our music, and go-go is forever. In fact, the call that go-go was forever was a huge statement even for the D.C. mayor at that time. We had a bit to learn about go-go lovers not backing down. Now, to pivot to another part of you, as a child, and I, I learned, and I wonder if this is correct, that your original love was football. Football and basketball. Football and yes. basketball. But yes. you weren't able to do that because of, because of an in- injury. So at this point, Music was an incredible view. Do you regret not being able to be a football player? Because surely you've done well yeah. um, since I, then. I, I, so, don't, I yeah. don't regret it at all. You know, we played, and um, I was shot at an early age when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And um, I still was able to play sports, but I was also asthmatic. Mm-hmm. And music was my savior. I think music kept me alive because a lot of times I lost friends when I was at shows or I was in practice or just trying to study my music. And um, to this day, I think my music is my savior mm. and I, I, won't, I, I wouldn't be anything without it. And the reason I, I mentioned that is because, you know, I, I live it and I'm always inspired by other people who live it who are able to turn tragedy into promise or prowess for themselves. Right. You know, I went blind when I was a kid, but the idea is usually if someone has a dream and that dream has to fold and you have to pivot, I used to be able to draw really well, right? I went blind, I can't draw anymore, you know? So I guess I could do some abstract stuff and hope that somebody survived, but that might look like you look like a bunch of mess, though, so we're not gonna talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you lost one talent and then something else was birthed, and that's that's one of the things that I find in, very interesting. Yes. So, from We Like It Raw in 1995 to Hood Related to Skillet, all the way to Street Antidote in 2016. Your music is, is, the the catalog is really good. So you tell me, what is your favorite to date? What is your favorite live recording that you guys have done? Oh man, it's kind of hard to say because- Give me a um, few of them then. Like what we, one of them was when we performed with Chuck Brown at the 930 Club, Uh when we did that Chuck Brown birthday performance. I thought it was so electrifying. The sound was amazing. The crowd was, you know what I mean, it was diverse. You had Indian, Caucasian, African. It was just a, 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 a box of mixed cereal and it was just so dope. The energy, everybody was screaming, no fighting. 
Murrayweather Post Pavilion. Mm. We had a chance to um, perform with Junkyard on the same stage. And I'm a big fan of Junkyard. I grew up watching Junkyard and mimicking Bugs, the lead talker, um, which I call Pops. Yeah. That was another show that was amazing that um, we did. And um, it was another show that we played for um, Tricky Entertainment, the black party at the convention center where the lights were blacked out. And I was our first time performing with our new singer, Sweet Thing, Tiff. And the crowd didn't even know we were performing. But when Joe Claire from the Joe Claire Morning Show, yeah. PGC um, announced us and the crowd went crazy. And just to hear those, <sighs> it's like hit you in the pit of your stomach. You don't know where you want to be nervous or right. you just want to get out there and bang it. But That's the those love, those man. three were, were like kind of like really dope to me. And I'm glad we did that. Yeah. So obviously we hinted about it a bit earlier that Big G has a whole other side to him. And we talked about one show, but your acting career actually goes all the way back to 1999. Yeah. But you touching a lot of stuff. I'm going to just yeah. run down a few things and then I'm going to talk about this. <laughs> this acting gene that uh, you're right. reported to have. So we're looking at whether it's 2018's Prospect, whether it's 2017's The Deuce, whether it's 2015's uh, Scream Queen season one, whether it's Jamesy Boy, whether it's 12 Years of Slave in 2013, Notorious, Ugly Betty, you have definitely been around. So yeah. it says that you weren't bit by the acting bug, but that you have the gene. When did right. you discover I that acting was a from go-go to acting? <laughs> yeah, I always, actually, um, in school, like stage, we did stage in Harriet Tubman Elementary, also in Cardoza. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be an actor and I wanted to be in stage, but we had, it wasn't really that many outlets in my city for it. Of course. And um, I, I'll never forget, my sister was like my grandmother. I always used to sit in front of the TV and watch television because television is one of my favorites. So I was watching them up and my sister was like, you gonna be, you, you mean you gonna mess yourself up? You you too close to the television, your eyes, you gonna mess your eyes up. And my grandmother was like, let him stay there. You know what I mean? One day he might be inside the television. <laughs> and, I, and I never forget that, you know what One I mean? One day and he like, might be inside yeah, them. You know, so <laughs> I, I always wanted to be an actor, but like I said, it wasn't no outlets. And then uh, I went to Pro Scout, I was working on radio. And um, I had the number one radio show on, on KYS. And um, I heard about Pro Scout and I went to Pro Scout in Philly. Then I went to the next level and I went to Arizona and I started doing print modeling. Cause I was like, I'm thin now, but I was super thin. Mm. Like I was like a, like a drumstick then. In so, fact, in fact yeah. print modeling was one of the ways that you met the casting director for yep. The Wire actually. Yep, actually, yeah, actually, yep. So I um, sent my stuff in. And uh, my guy, uh, Jay Coop, that used to be on Teen Summer, he passed away now. And um, he took me to the audition, and then I went from there. I've been going ever since. Wow. Well, you've done a lot of acting since 1999, but you've recently shifted to try and do more directing, right? Yeah, yeah. So tell me about the directing for music videos, and then conversely, you play Adonis in a YouTube web series yeah. called Transitions. Transitions. Which is also a, a product of your directing. So take us yeah. there. So um, I've been on these different sets with HBO, so I never stayed in my trailer. Mm. I always wanted to learn on set, on hand, because it's school. If you watch and they let you pay, if you pay attention, you can learn everything on set. From continuity, from the camera angles, to quiet on set. Mm. And I learned 
and I've been like really getting into it. So I'm, I'm actually directing and shooting my own documentary on my life. I'll probably do a five, six part series. And um, also I did some directing on transitions with um, Hannibal. And um, we're also, I'm directing and putting together this Go Go Forever um, documentary where it's, it's kind of like a reality series where Ron Moat will make Go Go Forever. Mm. And I'm directing and doing that behind the scenes. Also, I'm getting ready to do um, like four pieces with me acting and I'm gonna be directing with um, violence against women. Mm. So during COVID right now, and a lot of people are going through stuff with teleworking and, and it's, it's just a lot of women and children being abused right now. So I'm gonna bring that to the light. Yeah, I did read that that, that domestic violence, yes, at all illness time. by itself has exploded. Yeah, we're gonna test that as well. So you, obviously, uh, I think the, the most mundane exp explanation for that is obviously that people are now forced to be around each other yeah. um, a lot more than usual. But women and in the black community, is, is it, it's a crisis. So what, what brought that so. to the forefront for you? That's because a I, thing to tell I, you. Watched, I watched that in my household when my dad would get out of prison. My mom and my dad would fight a lot. And um, I watched my sister go through it as well. And uh, I can just imagine what these sisters are going through now during this time this COVID and a lot of people are home, so they have to be around their spouses and versus them going to work for a nine to five and have, that'll be their time to get away. No reprieve, right. You know what I mean? They'll be able to breathe. And then a lot of kids are going through it with abuse, but not being able to get on the computer, no Wi-Fi, not being able to eat. You know, I'm gonna touch on all of that. And it's a lot of mental health with a lot. The, the, it spiked over the last what year with um, suicide mm. with with um, ten to um, eighteen years old, nine to ten to eighteen years old with um, committing suicide, just being closed in, not being able to socialize, not being able to see their friends, not being able to get out to do sports. So I want to touch on all of those pieces and shoot those pieces, short films, and put them out for people can be aware of what people are going through if you don't really see it. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that it also has not died, and I don't think will, you know, unfortunately is exacerbated by the situation is, is bullying, right? Yes. We do, for Jin Leon, a big flagship project for us is anti-bullying. Right. Um, we specifically released a song and music video called Human, that's that's tied to our hashtag I am human too right so you also mentor young individuals I do what would you first two things uh, what would you say to anyone who is experiencing bullying if Big G can speak directly to that person if I could speak directly to that person I would tell them to just ask that person that's trying to bully them a question would you what would you want this to happen to you would you want somebody to bully your little sister or your little brother? And like, I always tell the kids that I talk to that was bullied because I just be like this. You talk to them, you just answer them a question. How are you living? Do you have your mom at home? Do you have your dad? Did you eat? Mm -hmm. I think you counter and ask them different questions and sometimes sometime make a change. And I noticed a lot of the kids that I talk to that are the bullier. Yeah. They, they just don't have love at home. Yeah. No hugs or nothing. Yeah, and, and you know, the chorus 
of the song, and I'm and I'm going to ask you my secondary question because it's tied into the lyrics for the song. Okay. It says, "I am human too, and I bleed just like you. I have feelings and dreams and a heart that does beat. Sometimes I get scared, and my eyes do cry tears. But you could dry my eyes if you act like I'm human and see me as human too. So it's a call directly to the bully, right? Right. To say, gee, if you know, I, I didn't choose to be blind. I didn't choose to be black." <laughs> I didn't choose to be homeless. Some of the things I was bullied for. What would you say to the bully? If you could speak directly to the bully. If I could speak directly to the bully, I would say, put yourself in my shoes. Would you want to be treated the way you're treating me? Look at yourself in the mirror when you make up, wake up when you wake up in the morning. That's what I would say. Wow. Were you ever bullied as a child? No, I think I bullied a few people though. But it wasn't like intentional. It was just there because like I said, like I lost my older brother and my older brother made us put this face on mm. that we had to be tough. You know what I mean? But I always had friends. Like I had a buddy of mine, he's an architect now, brilliant guy, Philip. And they used to bully him and I used to fight for him. And he was just this kid he'll go to sleep in class. I think he had. Sleep apnea, yeah. Yeah, so he, he'll wake up and still nail a test with all A's and B's. Wow. And we used to sit together and eat in the cafeteria. We used to eat those box pizzas that was the greatest pizza on earth. <laughs> you said, yeah. we, we had it in the 90s when I was in elementary yeah. school, so I know what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I felt like that was my guy. I was never the person that I, I, I might say something to somebody just out of fun, but then we'll high-five and have fun after that. But um, I noticed that they used to always bully, like bully Philip all the time. And it was this other guy, I forget his name, but they used to always say he smelled like pee. But they, nobody let him sit at the table, but he always used to sit with me and Philip. He was, he was super cool. He was another smart kid in math. And um, I, I went through those times in, in, in junior high school where I used to hang around people that got bullied a lot. So you were very transparent in saying that you unintentionally were the bully, but you, you I'm assuming in that story, you also have experience of standing up because you, you, you've done it in all your work throughout yeah. entertainment. You stand up for the bully. So I'm assuming you did the same thing as a child. Exactly. That's what we used to do it all the time. And like, I was, I was a real big fan of animals growing up. You know what I mean? I spent a lot of time going to the zoo when I wasn't supposed to go to the zoo. I used to ride my bike and with my friends go to the zoo. But like, I used to stand up for people all the time. And um, I watched it and I, like in my household, like I said, my brother, he was one of the tough guys. He, he made us, made me and my little brother be a certain way. And um, my sister used to be like this, no, just be who you are. And um, that was a, a thing that like a light bulb used to go off in my head all the time, just be me. And I think that what got me along and got me along through my travels and my trials and tribulations as a kid, just listening to that word when my sister say, boy, little boy, just be you, just be you. Just, just be you. Yeah. That's a common theme that's in my house. I, I adopted uh, four foster kids who all have, you know, awesome. They all have emotional uh, 
issues and some behavioral issues which could be expected when you've been through a lot of trauma and bounced around, right? Right. So when you talk about the difficulty of kids with special needs, obviously being trapped in the house, they don't have any of their usual um, pastimes or escapes or what have you, that uh, that's that speaks directly to me. So I'd love to know a lot more about uh, the documentary that could be putting forth. Yeah. Um, or that maybe there's more dialogue that we can somehow have around it in terms of content. Because sure. that, that is a story that I live, story that, um, that is alive here. And conversely, um, I would love for you to see the uh, flagship video, Human, um, because I also think it coincides with, uh, that there's parallels between what you're doing and what we're doing. Um, and I don't know if you're a man that cry, but I cry. When you, yeah, when you do see human, I do. you're going to need some tissues. I, no, I do. Sure. <laughs> That's a, I'm glad you said that, too, because a lot of times, like, you put on this face and uh, the characters that I play, and then just being, like, everyday life, the tough guy you have to be for your family, for your kids, for your, for your spouse. You have to be this person. And they always say, gee, you big soft and you cry. I can watch a movie and cry. But yeah. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm just that heartfelt person that I have feelings. And I don't think it's nothing wrong with it. You know, people look at me like this. Oh, you ain't no street guy. You ain't tough enough that you cry and you, you have feelings. And, and if you're a person of feelings, then you won't cry. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I brought them up because in the... You know, like my my kids, two of my kids were rescued from what I call the streets of D.C., right? Okay. Um, smoking and doing drugs at nine and ten years old. You're right, that sort of stuff. Now, yeah. um, that 10-year-old who was smoking is now 16. Um, I got him when he was 13. He didn't care about school. Now he does. Completely turned around. Um, and it's always been this obsession. When I got them, there was always this vast obsession with violence. Everything was timed. I need to assert strength. I need to do this. I need to do that and idolizing everything. And I've had to work hard and I have rehabilitated him from all of that type of stuff. Right. But it typically takes emblems for him to really get it that, oh, you know, I'm you know, goody two shoes, which I'm not, but you're a goody two shoes blind, say dead, I don't know about it. You know what I mean? Even though I'm from the streets too, right? Yeah. Um, so for that, young men who believe that the streets is where it's at, you know, you got a voice to tell him it's not. Shit. What would you say? Even, I, I want even my sons to hear this. I tell them all the time because I, I watched it. I'm like I said, I was out there. I was out there, out there. I was shot at 12. Yeah. And um, I've been shot 13 other times after that. And um, i never forget, I was at a family reunion and my cousin Lucky, she said, why do you keep getting shot? And I had no answer for it because I was always a product of my neighborhood. I wanted to be there, I wanted to be out there. Everybody pretty much loved G, mm. but it was always people around me that people didn't really was too fond of. Right. So what I would tell the young brothers and the young sisters now, because we have an alarming rate with our young sisters getting murdered in DC as well. Yeah. I would tell my young brothers, you're not gonna be 15 and 18 for the rest of your life. Mm. You're gonna eventually go on to have a family a career, um, you're gonna wanna travel the world, you're gonna wanna see outside of DC. Um, and your friends aren't really your friends if they can't take the criticism where you're gonna take this day off just to chill and study. 
Then another thing I always tell these kids, you fighting for a neighborhood and a, and a street sign that you'll never be able to own. Wow. And I say, they fight for the street name. Whatever block you're fighting for, you will never be able to own one brick or that street sign. So, wow. And I, and I tell them that, and that a lot of when I talk to them, make that same sense because it's, it's so a, simple. You yeah, know what I'm saying? You have a wow. lot of them are still fighting for a neighborhood beef that started in the early 80s. They don't even know what the original crux of it was. Don't even know what it's about. And if nobody's not hurting your arm, your mom, your kids, you know what I mean? That's, that's still not a reason to go out and shoot a person with an AK-47 or a Glock, Blizzy 9 or whatever you want to call it. It's about the growth and what are you going to do next year? What are you going to do in your five-year plan? Financial literacy. I try to talk to them about a lot of stuff that I didn't learn that I'm learning now. Yeah. And I just I just had to say, look, I'm, I'm, I want to do different. I want to do better. I'm tired of being in pain. I'm tired of getting shot. I want, I want a better life. I want a better life indeed. I think the biggest thing you said earlier is that all you can do is definitely be you. Um, what's what's next in rap? We've got the filming, we've got the, uh, the directorship. What's next? Just um, I, I work with the homeless a lot because I was a homeless youth as well, and I work with the homeless. Um, I came up with a, a brand called G Sami, where we give socks out to the homeless youth and um, the elderly, and we go around to different um, homeless shelters. We go to the tent the tent family on K Street. And you know, socks is the least thing that homeless people have as far as when it's cold out for hypothermia. So um, I'm working on my brand, just trying to, like I was talking to some people overseas where I was gonna be able to get a sock at a beautiful number just to be able to put socks on all of the homeless people in my city. Then we were gonna go to Maryland and Virginia. Then we were gonna worry about the outside world like New York and all those different other places. I had a blessing to be able to film in Seattle. And um, it's a really big homeless population there with youth and they're on drugs, heroin very hard. So that was, that's a big initiative that I'm taking on with me working with the homeless youth in Washington, DC. And I'm also building, uh, I'm doing a GoFundMe right now to get all my film equipment before I can do this big production where I can be able to shoot film in my city and don't have to go anywhere. I don't want to leave. I, I love my city so much. I feel that I should be able to make money and open up doors for other young entrepreneurs can make money with working in film production in our city. Wow. I, I love that because it's, you know, one phrase I'm sick of is, let's so put DC on the map. It's like, much talent. We we are on the map. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody, <laughs> everybody's still out, our, our culture, our dress style, our music. Everything. We, everything. We, the way we talk, our slang. And then now I'm seeing all of the young is putting the um, gold and stuff in their mouth and the, and all that stuff in their mouth. I don't I don't knock them for doing it, but we didn't start that here. You know what I mean? So I, I just like, you know, old school rap yeah. and where we came up was cool. But I'm, I'm just glad that finally our city is getting the recognition on the hip hop um, level that we deserve because we have so many talented hip hop artists here, singers, R&B, and we, we were getting shouted out because of like just our global music. And like now, since the social media, 
I'm super proud of our city, how we're sticking together with our music and trying to put it out. Especially. Trying to put it out there. And yeah, it's like, they yeah, are. I feel it's DC's chocolate city, chocolate like chocolate. You eat chocolate, chocolate's everywhere. Gotta so love, gotta love chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's just there. You gotta love chocolate, so we gotta keep yeah, it there. Well, exactly. I definitely tell everyone uh, who doesn't know where they can follow you. Man, you can follow me on A-N-W-A-N-G-L-O-V-E-R on um, Instagram, and that's... Um, I got the blue check on there. Also, Backyard Band, Backyard for Life. And on um, Facebook, is the same thing. And um, we, we, we're building a bunch of stuff. I want you guys to stay tuned. I'm getting ready to launch my YouTube channel. I got a couple of different characters that I'm going to do. You're going you're gonna to be, a, you're gonna be one, to, one to see more. I'm, just, I'm, going, I'm all over the place right now. Well, I'll take it. I'm going to hope that you uh, grant us some more interviews. When all oh, come stuff on. I'm, I'm, I'm a family member now, so yeah, you, you can call you, me you, anytime. You join the Gillian Circle. Um, hey, look, one side of the Join the Gillian Circle. You in the Gillian Circle. <laughs> <laughs> you better stay in it. That's what's well, up. Thank you so much for joining us. This is our conversation in the Gillian Circle with Big G of Backyard Band who definitely has proven in this conversation why they call him the secret celebrity. The biggest description of who he is, is a philanthropist. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm Mario Bonds. Bye, everybody. Special day, February the 14th. Oh, 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 cause you know I got somebody Cause I can't